Let's read the Word of God. We're reading from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll read from verse 23 right through to verse 29. Let's hear the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, we're continuing with our series of sermons in the book of Colossians that we started many months ago. And today my text is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. And my theme today I've entitled... The Faithful Ministry of God's Suffering Servant. You see, from the end of chapter 1, verse 23, right through to Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul is writing about himself. I want you to notice he's writing in the first person plural. Look at verse 23. At the very end of the verse, he says, We're off. I, Paul, am made a minister. Notice he's even put in his own name. Previously, he had written about we. If you think about uh, verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, there's many other references to we. He was thinking of himself. He was thinking of those who stood with him in the work of the gospel. Now it is whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And in this section here, we are given a glimpse into his life and his work. He's really talking about his ministry. I believe that in prison, this is the subject that is undoubtedly on his heart and mind. We could ask the question this morning, what is his work? And here's the answer. His life's work from the day of his conversion on the Damascus Road is bound up in the ministry of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. From the day the Apostle Paul got saved on the Damascus Road, from that day 
to the end of time, his time on earth, he exercised a most fruitful and a most faithful ministry for Christ. Now remember at the time of writing, the Apostle Paul is a prisoner in a jailhouse at Rome. He's about a thousand miles from Colossae. People in Colossae have never met Paul in the flesh. They've heard of him from their faithful pastor, Epaphras. At this time, the church in Colossae is in danger. False teachers have come in with their false teaching. They're adding to the gospel. They're saying, well, it's great you have Jesus, but you need the help of angels. It's great you have this kind of knowledge, but you need a, a special kind of knowledge that only we can impart to you so you can be initiated into our little group. They mentioned other things, this and that. And one of the things that they questioned as they spouted out their false teaching was Paul's credentials as a po an apostle. And one of their arguments went like this, but he's a prisoner at Rome. How could you trust a jailbird? How could you take his word? We don't really know all that's behind his imprisonment. That there's no smoke without fire. Mud sticks. It stains the wall. So here's the Apostle Paul. And to counteract such things that have been said about him, he introduces himself to the church at Colossae. And I believe he does so under inspiration, but I believe he does so to help to build a closer relationship with the people of God. And he wants to reintroduce them to the fact of his ministry that he is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At its heart, he wants them to know that he's a good minister of Jesus Christ, a faithful and true minister, not a false minister of Christ. Now, I've read through this passage, and it would be very easy just to skip over. It would be very easy to try and just incorporate everything into one message. But the more I thought about it, the more I said to myself, this is really relevant and wholly appropriate for the day and the age in which we live. I ask myself this question, well, can I apply this to modern life in the 21st century? And I believe the answer is yes. So we're thinking this morning, verse 24 and verse 25, it reads as follows, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, three things from this text. I want you to see Paul as a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. See, I believe that's something that as he introduced himself, he wanted to emphasize to the people in Colossae. And as he emphasizes to the people in Colossae, he emphasizes to us. Look again at verse 23. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister. Now, we'll, we'll pause there. You see, the word minister, it means a servant. If you look up the Greek New Testament, it's the word 
doulos, from which we get the word bondslave or deacon. The Apostle Paul, first and foremost, saw himself, after his conversion, as a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's relevant. That's relevant not only to me, but that's relevant to those who say, but that's just for the full-time minister of the gospel with a ministry to fulfill. It's not. It's wider. You see, every born-again believer that's truly and genuinely saved and converted to Jesus Christ is a servant of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as a servant of Christ, you have a role to play in the life and witness that you live to the gospel. As a servant of Jesus Christ, you too have a ministry to fulfill. You see, every true believer this morning has gifts and talents to use as they live out the gospel. And that is how the Apostle Paul first and foremost saw himself. And from the day he got saved, every day till the end of his time, this is what he said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. So if he looked himself in the mirror, it wasn't just I, Paul, what am I? I, Paul, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And what was true of him is true of every other born-again believer. You this morning, if you're saved, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. Do you know this morning you're not your own? Do you know this morning that you're bought with a price? Do you know that you're to glorify God in your body? Isn't this what Paul says? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he, he, he says this, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Why? Because you're a servant of Jesus Christ. Now you could maybe argue, you could say, but, but I haven't gone to Bible college. You could say, but I'm not in full-time ministry. You could truthfully say, I've not got the time to devote to a full-time ministry. You could say, well, I don't see myself as a pastor or a reverend. You might even say, but, but I couldn't preach and teach the word of God like you do all the time. And all that's true. But you are still a servant of Jesus Christ. So I'm emphasizing this. Paul is taken up with the theme in his heart and his head, even in prison, how can I serve Christ well here in the prison house? You see, I believe the Apostle Paul wanted to be and worked very hard to be a good, faithful servant of Jesus Christ. He wanted to serve Christ well. Now let me ask this. What's uppermost in our minds as Christians? Do we tell ourselves that we are servants of Jesus Christ? Remember one day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account to him. Isn't this what Paul says in Romans chapter 14 and in the verse 10? Romans 14 and 10, and this is what it says. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Romans 14 verse 12. And over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, he tells us this. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And you see, if we think of the judgment seat and meeting the righteous judge, could one of the questions not be, what have you done with the gifts that I've given you? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your money? What did you do with your love? I give you a gift of help. How did you use it? I give you the gift of encouragement. How did you use it? I give you the gift of music. How do you use it? Remember the parable of the talents? Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Master gave five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to another. The one that got five, he used them to add five more. He got praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. The one that got two added two more, and he also got praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one that got one hid the talent. And when the master came, he gave it back to him. And what did the master call him? A wicked and a lazy servant. Why? The point is that the servant with just the one talent didn't use that talent for the good and glory of the master. And therefore he was described as wicked and lazy. You see, it was a sign that he was not a real true servant. He didn't really belong to his master. He wasn't thinking of serving him properly and faithfully. Let me just add this. The Apostle Paul, I believe, had a very high view of the Christian ministry. The Christian minister is a servant of Jesus Christ. It's relevant to him who's in the pulpit. You see, the job of a minister this morning is not just a job. I don't see it as a job. I don't want you to see it as a job. It's not something that we train for and fit it for the task. The job of the minister is not merely a career. It's a calling. The job of the minister, and I say this, it's not to make a living. It's something to be loved. The Apostle Paul held the work of the ministry as a divine appointment. In other words, he held it with a sense of awe. He realized, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ because God has called me to be that. And, and God helped them by the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that ministry. And God gave the word to him. And he was to faithfully proclaim that word to the souls of men. In other words, he is an eye to the care and the cure of the souls of men. And his mindset is seen in this fact that he said in 1 Corinthians Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. You see, when I think of the pulpit ministry, I think of uh, my homiletic teacher, Dr. S.B. Cook. And he used to pray for the man who would stand behind the sacred desk. Why did he pray that? Why did he say that? Here's why. Because on that sacred desk, sat the word of the living and the true God. And from that sacred desk was proclaimed the word of God in all its fullness. And those that stood within the parameters of that sacred desk 
We're to be filled with a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, filled with the wonder of the privilege of being called to preach the gospel, filled with the wonder of being God's gifts to the congregation. Whenever Paul says, we're off I, Paul, and made a minister, that's what he had in mind. He saw himself as a servant who had the privilege of serving Christ. And he felt for the needs of the people of God everywhere. He had a burden for the souls of men to see them saved and to see them stand for the honor of Christ. He was deeply concerned for the state of the land in his day, as we're to be deeply concerned for the state of the land in our day. He fulfilled this sacred charge with a deep reverence and a mindset to have a faithful, fruitful ministry. The thought was even in prison, I'm incapable of doing this in the own strength or power. My capabilities in Christ. I'm impotent in my own strength and power to do this. I can't have a faithful and fruitful ministry without the power and the potency being of Christ. There may even be times that he felt, I'm a failure in my own strength or power, and yet realized that his success didn't lie in himself, it lay in Christ. The Apostle Paul was filled with the privilege of serving Christ. And as he served Christ, as we're going to see, he had the privilege of serving the body of Christ, the church. How? By presenting Christ to them in all its fullness. See, the Apostle Paul is defining his gospel ministry. He's a servant. If I put it this way, young people, he's a servant of the master and as such, he's a servant of men. See Paul as a faithful servant of Christ serving the master and therefore as such, he's a servant of men. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, if you look at our text, I want you to see Paul as a faithful sufferer of Christ. Look at verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, I want you to notice the words here. Look at the text. My sufferings for you. So we're going to think of, we'll break it down, the reality of his sufferings. Now, it lacks detail. He adds the details in other references. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following. He's just merely stating it here as a fact. My sufferings for you. You've got to think of the things that the Apostle Paul experienced and underwent. And why did he do them? Ultimately, they were for Jesus Christ and the sake of the gospel. Ultimately, they were for the well-being of the church. As I've said, he's a prisoner at this time. And he's experiencing suffering, physical. He's experiencing suffering in his mind and in his emotions, in the depth of his soul. So he's experiencing suffering in his body. 
and in his soul for the cause of Christ. I want you to think also of the reason for his suffering. If you look at the text, it says, And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. You see, Paul's pattern of suffering is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Is not far-reaching. Is not heartwarming. Now, I want you to think of these words. Let me explain what they don't mean, so we're looking at them negatively. They don't mean that Christ's suffering on the cross was incomplete or not sufficient for our salvation. So much so that the apostle Paul, like the other apostles, had to complete it. The New Testament doesn't teach that we in some way by our sufferings add merit to Christ's sacrificial death and blood atonement. We don't teach that we're saved by our own suffering. It's not a reference to the atoning suffering of Christ. It's not a reference to his propitiatory suffering. Let me make that clear. So that's what it's not. And and I'll prove that to you in a moment. Over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, we read this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And the resurrection, his bodily resurrection from the dead, was proof that God accepted his once and for all sacrifice for sin. Now, why do I emphasize this? For this reason. Roman Catholicism uses this text as a proof text for the suffering of Christians in purgatory. They maintain that Christ's sufferings is not enough to purge us completely from sin. But by physical suffering in purgatory, Christians can make up what is lacking in Christ. And you could even suffer in behalf of others even after their death. But that totally contradicts what Paul has already taught in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 right through to 22. Jesus Christ offered a once and for all, complete, propitiatory, atoning sacrifice for sin on the cross. So it's not in terms of propitiation. Well, if it doesn't mean that, well, what does it mean? It's a difficult text. Look at the words again. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, I'd admit it's a unique expression. If I put it this way, Paul's saying, I complete the leftover sufferings of Christ. In other words... It has to do with identification with Christ. He's suffering the afflictions of Christ that Christ would suffer if he were still in the earth. Look at John 15, verse 20. Here's the Lord Jesus in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. And what did he tell his disciples? He says, remember the word that I've said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You see, many Christians suffer persecutions in this world. Just the same persecutions that their master would suffer if Jesus Christ were still on earth. Paul was modeling his life in him. And here's another way of looking at it. Suffering the afflictions of Christ when a believer suffers. You see, remember, Paul persecuted the church. And as the church was being persecuted, people were being beaten and imprisoned, and some were being put to death. Not only was the church being persecuted on the earth, but Christ was also suffering. Remember he said to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road on his knees, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And all believers are called to suffer. And we must be submissive to it. We're going to face suffering and hardship. Over there in 2 Timothy and in chapter 2 and in the verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and the verse 3, we read these words. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, every true minister of the gospel must act and live toward the church and love the church just like Jesus Christ loved the church. The true minister of the gospel must treat God's people as Christ did. The true minister of the gospel will always be seeking the interests of the people of God and putting their interests before his own. It's not what can I get out of the church. It's what does the church need? How can I help to fulfill the needs of the church? And the true minister of the gospel will be willing for hardship. He'd be willing to perform even menial tasks to despised tasks and, and, and he's doing it not to get the praise or applause of men he's got an eye to their praise and the applause of the well done of the master and that true minister of the gospel will use his gifts to the best of his ability to glorify Christ and for the good and the welfare of his church it's not how can the church help me or What can I get out of the church? He's not consumer-minded. He's Christ-minded. What can I give? How can I help the body of Christ? You see the word affliction here? Look at the text. The word affliction, affliction of Christ, it means troubles. It means the burdens of life, trials and tribulation. It's nothing to do with the putting away of sin by a blood sacrifice. The apostle Paul couldn't put away one sin. Neither could anyone else. Paul is saying, you don't have access to God through me or any other mediator because there's only one mediator that you have access to God through and that's Jesus Christ for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2 and 5. And we believe, of course, in the priesthood of all believers. The reference is to the burdens and trials of life. And let me just add this. You see, Jesus Christ 
suffered the trials and burdens of life. And all that he suffered in his natural body, that was for the good of his church, his spiritual body. And that's the meaning here. Not only the reality of it, but the reason for it. I complete the leftover sufferings of Christ. Notice he rejoiced in his sufferings. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. You see, how could that be? The answer is he was suffering because of Jesus Christ. He was suffering for the sake of Christ's body. I rejoice to suffer and bear reproach in the Lord Jesus Christ for the good of his body. That's what he's saying. See, Paul, as a minister of the gospel, was willing to sacrifice his body for Christ's body, the church. Paul is thinking of what Christ suffered in his body and soul for me. And then he says, I am happy to suffer in my body for the good of his body, the church. He said, I endure all things, 2 Timothy 2 and 10, for the elect's sake. We're getting a wonderful insight into the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul. And if we were to read 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, we would get an incredible insight into Paul's own autobiography of those sufferings. All that he suffered in his body, in his heart and mind. The care of all the churches, being a prisoner, the, the, the privations, the beatings. So you've got to think of Paul's sufferings. Physical, actual, imprisoned, beating, dying in his body. You see, here's the price to pay in the struggle to take the gospel to every creature. You think for a moment of the martyrs. We could talk about the voice of the martyrs in the Bible from Abel right up. We could talk about the voice of the martyrs not only in the scriptures but in society from the first century and beyond right up to the present time. But did you know this? I got this from a text message from a dear brother who's probably listening this morning. Uh, thank you, William. On the 23rd of October, every year, up until near the end of the 20th century, the bells of certain churches in Northern Ireland rang out on the 23rd of October. Special sermons were preached. Now, why? Why? Why were the bells ringing and why were sermons preached? Let me answer. Because on that day, the 23rd of October, which was yesterday, in 1641, there was the dreadful Irish Rebellion. And at that time, now listen to me carefully, thousands of Protestants were massacred for being Protestants. And whole districts, even here in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland, were depleted. Did you know that Market Hill didn't escape? Mullabrack Parish, Lockgilly Parish, Kilclinny Parish. They were burnt to the ground. Rectors were murdered or held captive. People were put into groups of 140 and 160 at a time. And many of them were drowned in Scarva Lake. 
And there's a Market Hill innkeeper gave testimony by the name of James Shaw that the three parishes, there were something like 1,500 people were murdered, either by starvation or by drowning. In the Irish rebellion, something like 37,000 people. Now we're talking about not 2021, 1641. So we're going back in history. And let me just add this. This has been ghosted out of the history books. All of that murder. What about the Bandon Valley murders? You see, like our troubles today, it's being revised. It's being rewritten. And I'm saying this morning, we can't let it happen. We have to challenge it because we must rediscover our past if we're going to prepare for the future. And that's why I repudiated the sayings of the Roman Catholic cardinal about the birthday of Northern Ireland at the centenary service. He said that it was religiously and culturally and politically divisive about the partition of Ireland. I want to tell him it wasn't. And we have good reason, we have good reason, if we think of our history, to fear Rome rule. Paul was a faithful sufferer of Christ. And I just want to add, there's greater suffering to come for the church of Christ its ministers and its people and that's prophesied we'll see that in time to come let me just thirdly and quickly close I want you to see Paul as a faithful steward of Christ look at verse 25 whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God see how did Paul become a minister Here's the answer, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. Paul exalted Christ in his service by doing it as a steward, because he remembered and realized, I've been appointed by Christ. I'm not appointed because I passed a test and was approved and qualified by some individual. No, no, God did it. I, I'm not self-promoted myself. I wasn't even a volunteer. Here, Lord, call me. It was not my plan for my life. It was God's plan. I, I'm a conscript. I've been drafted. And you see, the word dispensation, young people, is not a reference to a period of time. It can mean that, but it's not. Not in this context. It means being granted something. Granted a dispensation. Paul, I have something for you. And, and, and what was it? The gospel ministry. Paul says, I live my ministry. I act as a minister by divine appointment and administration. And it's not really me working at all. It's the Lord working in me. And there's a revelation here. But there's a relevance here. You see, the truth about the Christian ministry for Paul, has to be true of the Christian minister everywhere. 
It not only applies to Paul particularly, it applies to all Christian ministers generally throughout the world. Every minister that claims to set forth Jesus Christ and expound the word of God has this burden that God has called me to this task. And the ministry he is exercising in that office, God has put him there. Isaiah 8 and 20 says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. You see, the ministry is God's way of providing for his household. You think of a big house, and he's got a chief steward or a number of stewards under him, and they're all looking after the house, every aspect of its welfare and well-being. And the task of the steward is to be an overseer and make provision for the household. Well, well, in a Christian sense, the Christian minister is to be a faithful steward and he's to oversee the provision for the household of God. And, and he's to provide the foot of truth to them. Notice the words as we finish, to fulfill the word of God. In the margin, it means to fully preach the word of God, to unfold that word, to declare and expound it, to proclaim the whole counsel of God. You see, the task of the pulpit, let me finish with this, our time is gone, is to preach Christ. Now, we preach Christ in Carried Off FPC. And we only preach Christ in Carried Off FPC. We exist to exalt and honor Jesus Christ, to talk of his obedience to the blood sacrifice, to, to say to you, you can have a saving union with Jesus Christ. To, to say to you to remember the, the blood sacrifice of Christ. We, we, we say to you, remember his sonship. Re remember the righteousness of Christ. We, we say to you, remember the life of Christ. Model your life in Christ. We say to you, know Christ as Lord and Savior. See, at the heart, it's all about Christ. We can say with Paul, we preach Christ and him crucified. That's the relevance. That's the job of the steward. I wonder this morning, do you know Christ? Do you love him? Is he your Lord and Savior? How do you see yourself as a Christian? How do you see the Christian ministry in this place? How do you see me as a Christian minister? Do you see me as a servant? As a sufferer? As a steward for Christ? That's how Paul seen himself in the ministry. And that's the type of ministry we need and want to the glory of God. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.